0: Welcome to learning by doing this is a podcast about the process about exploring people exploring the development professionally creatively and personally Each week my co-host and I bring people on and talk about how they got to where they are How they fail And what they're going to do to keep going George and this week we have a classical pianist trained and turned musical therapist and I want to explore that a lot more. Christina welcome to the show, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So I'll intro you more more than just a classical pianist turned musical therapist. You are someone that started doing piano if I understand correctly at a young age Mm -hmm. and dabbled in a little bit more music, decided to make that a career path, Mm -hmm. got to the end of that road, and flipped Ooh. well and <laughs> got, got involved to in that and flipped from there into uh something interesting something a little more interesting to you that that pushes you forward which is music uh-huh. therapy which is a field uh-huh. that i know not much about and i want to learn great so let's start from the beginning i want to hear about your path as a classical musician you started playing music at what age
1: i was six when i started taking piano lessons yeah
0: Okay, was it just a bunch of instruments, or you said piano is gonna be the one I'm dedicating myself? Piano,
1: to piano was the thing. Um, I kind of grew up in a household where all all us kids were learning how to play piano. So I have a uh, twin brother and a young um older sister actually. So my sister ended up dropping out of that. My brother really kind of maintained his passion for that, but he didn't pursue music in school and neither did I at first. Um, I guess my path kind of looked like I didn't know about music therapy until maybe two years before I applied to the program in Montreal because I didn't even know it existed as a profession and that's actually kind of why I didn't pursue music initially either. I didn't want to teach nor did I want to play as a professional musician. So in my studies, I actually pursued um, topics I wasn't really interested in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you're kind of stepping away a little bit. You're you're like, I studied, I mean, kind of pushing away what you studied. What what is it? You went through CJEp in...
1: Yeah, I mean, school was never my strong suit. I was always afraid of academia. I was never... um, Grades were not really my thing, especially in comparison to my other siblings. So school to me was always this like area of dread. <laughs> yeah. um, I never really quite fit the mold. And I'm, I'm actually kind of exploring some issues related to that at this point in my life. I have a feeling that there might be maybe an uncovered or undiagnosed uh, learning disability or learning challenge. So some kind of neurodivergence that I'm, I'm really looking into now, but I digress. So in university, actually, most of my friends went and studied education. So I thought I would just, you know, follow in their footsteps and hope that my life would come together the way theirs did. (laughs) (laughs) And when it didn't, I was like, well, maybe I should just do something that feels right for me. And then that's kind of when I switched. So two years into university, I dropped education and I switched into the music program.
0: And so and you said the music program, you went into music program being like a uh, major in piano uh, composition type thing or? Performance. Performance. Okay.
1: Um, so that led to five more years, uh, three more years, I think three more years. My university career entirely was five years. Um, so yeah, three more years of that. And then. I I had no idea where I was going right at this point. I was like, well, I love music. I really believe in it. This is something that I love to do. I'm not sort of following in the footsteps of someone else. So I feel like that was a really pivotal point in my life where I made a decision for myself and study, deciding to study music was something that was authentic to me. And that's kind of where that all started.
2: Were there any worries in in that you were trying to build your own path forward instead of following where others had been before or was that just kind of part of the whole motivation to try and actually you know carve your own path forward
1: I didn't have that type of courage at the time. I think Mm. I just really wanted to try doing something that felt right to me. And I hadn't, I hadn't even started building my own identity. I feel like up up until that point, I had been following in other people's footsteps or kind of fulfilling prophecies of like, you know, teachers that said, eh, you could try harder. You could do better. You can always do better, you know? And so, yeah, leading up to that point, I didn't really have much of a sense of self. So I had no idea where I was going with that. And it was by complete coincidence and fluke that I discovered, uh, music therapy as a profession.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll build up to that. I really want to explore (laughs) the the music path first, because it it has a lot to it. And it kind of guided you to music therapy. Mm-hmm. I want to understand it a little bit of you started piano because it was a thing in your household, but music, music in general is such a thing that you have to spend so much time to get a little bit. And then the more you spend time, the increments are small. What kept you to it? I understand you love it, but was it kind of that one thing that you had that was pushing you forward of and you're doing it by yourself for yourself?
1: It was always a really personal thing for me. Honestly, it was the thing that made me feel most it was my one main source of expression i feel and it was an outlet i was a really emotional child and (laughs) i feel that just um finding a way to express like just that was my way that's really all i can say about that i mean it was just it was my language and i really felt like playing music and practicing you know interpreting the beautiful music that had been written by composers and just getting that honor to read their music it's it's like reading a book in yeah. a really poetic mm-hmm. and you know and a lot of, I could really detect a lot of my own and relate a lot of my emotional realities into the, in that music and so that was really a way for me to just honestly feel alive
0: yeah and if you're bridging that gap there of music as a language to a lot of people it's just sounds and I mean the, the lyrics on top make whatever song is a song but without even getting deeper into the theory of it you start understanding like okay these chords or these bundles of notes make you happy these kind of mm. show like a, a little sad or a little mm. uh pointing question or stuff like that and it's really mm. there that I kind of I, I feel like you start realizing okay you can use this language you can use this and when I feel like when music therapy hits you of like this is a thing you can pursue it's taking that language and giving it to others
1: Hmm. interesting
0: yeah it's it's, it's a, a way of seeing it <laughs>
1: To be honest with you, when I first started the music therapy program, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea what it was about. I was, you know, I really just wanted to learn what I could do with music because I had used music as a way to self-serve for so long. I really wanted to learn how to use it in a way that would benefit others and I'm still I say this to everybody I'm still kind of perfecting my elevator pitch of what music therapy is I don't know if I ever will but (laughs) it's it's quite abstract um but yeah I like what you said about sort of using the therapeutic value and finding ways to extract that and use it in therapy Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and so you're playing compositions and this is a lot of you're reading other people's music and trying to make your own twist on it sometimes or Mm -hmm. just keeping it to what it is Were you Mm -hmm. doing shows? Did you do recitals and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So how um, my program worked was that we have, basically you spend the whole year learning three to to five pieces in different styles and different genres. And then at the end of that semester, you have a jury exam, which is when you play the, you have learned those pieces and you play them for a set of judges. And then based on that, you get a grade. So they judge you. Yes. You are judged according to a set of criteria, you know, that is, do they play in the correct style of the composer? Is this played, are, the, are all their notes right? Is the timing right? Is the, are the dynamics good? You know, there's, there's a checklist of things that the judges kind of evaluate your playing by. And there's a lot of, there was a lot of like uh, controversy, I suppose, in, you know, in talks about that and in discussions about that, which is also something I love about now discovering myself as a music therapist. There's none of those judgments, you know, there's, there's a very big difference between being a professional musician and then being a music therapist. Yeah, because I want
0: to kind of hit on that of, to a lot of people, music is, it's subjective, right? We all have, I like this type of music, you like this type of music. Compositions are, here's what you have to do. And like, it's all written down for most parts. Like you're supposed to go yeah. higher on this. You're supposed to have, try to do motifs there, but you're still being judged by people that are going to pick up on different things, right? You're all the judge at the end is, is s- still biased in some ways because they like this type of music a little bit more. They like these things more. So it, it's weird to not have a, this is a true answer for a song. Cause you're not trying to recreate Bach. You're, you're not trying to be one to one. You're kind of bringing some of your own as stuff, right?
1: Right, and I think that that was a big, it's a big learning process for each, you know, pianist or musician to sort of learn their own style. But it's, again, it's a very different experience to do that classically versus in a therapeutic environment, if you will. Like, if we're going to stick to... I guess for the sake of this discussion about the classical thing and there's this whole set of criteria that you're evaluated by. It's quite a rigid world, yeah. but that's also, I, I can't blame them for that because there's a lot of, I suppose, honor or prestige in that profession and they kind of maybe want to maintain that since music already and the arts already don't have much value attributed to them in different, I don't know, in, in different societies or it's kind of, it yeah. maybe feels like, I've spoken to some of my professors, university professors, and I feel like they worry that This field is dying out a bit, so the more they feel it's dying out, the tighter their grip is. Mm, Totally. Sorry about that Uh, rant.
0: (laughs) No, Uh this is exactly where where we're here for. This is I want to hear your thought process. I want to learn about that, Mm. and you're you're hitting on this this grip the the elitism that has been Mm. created around. And we talked a little bit prior to uh, Mm -hmm. to this conversation about this kind of right versus wrong. And this is the way music is supposed to be understood and created and whatever other people are doing is is a disgrace to music or to the genre in some Mm. cases. It kind of makes me question, like the switch you had was because you were getting disdained by this, right? The switch you went to therapy being it's free flowing we we're, we're here to just try and learn about about it and be just having fun with the music instead of rigid about it
1: I wouldn't even say that because I am still in the process of letting go of this of the judgment in my mind that's sort of been trained in me or ingrained in my ingrained in me from my classical training. So it was really in my training that I realized I was allowed to let that go. But because it's been so impounded in my system, it's kind of like it's really it's a really tough thing to unlearn. So I really went into it mainly honestly as simple as this sounds, I was interested in music, I was interested in sex i was really curious about how those two merged and how yeah how that field what kind of role that that field can take in, yeah. in this world
0: and so we're going to dive into it what is music therapy is that, <laughs> we've been we've been going around the rim about circling it, circling
1: around it yeah
0: what is music um, therapy so use the elevated pitch that you've been practicing <laughs> this is your time <laughs>
1: I try not to practice because everyone, it depends on who's asking, honestly, but um, so music therapy, generally, it's you're using music as the medium to explore any type of material that can come up for a person in therapy or I mean, in, in the therapeutic environment, but music therapy looks different between elderly people with alzheimer's or dementia versus kids in a school setting versus people in a mental health setting so it it takes on a different shape really whoever you're working with but music is at the core of um your medium of intervention
0: and you've you've spent that range of you go from pediatric to geriatric Geriatric. and everything in between dealing with people with disabilities people with Mental disabilities, physical, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that covers there. Mm-hmm. What well, the what pol- is your kind of path or your direction in there? Are you open to anything? Or mm-hmm.
1: so um in our in the program, what they do in Montreal is you have three or four internships but each one is with a different population so you kind of get to kind of Mm. dip your toes into different types of people and kind of find your way I initially was in love with working with uh, geriatrics working with elderly people in in either long-term care facilities or in uh, any type of setting really because I always really had this I have a really strong I have a sensitivity for the elderly people in our society and I really feel that it's in my values anyway that we maybe, that we owe them something that you know um, they deserve a little more respect and honor than I feel they are getting to experience in uh, their current lives. But of course you know in working with different populations I've grown to liking working with different people. so I also love working with individuals with intellectual disabilities. I had a work experience not long ago working with men who have schizophrenia, so different mental health challenges. And you. But I mean, the, the beauty about it is also that you can experience so much with different people and you can choose kind of, it's a very on the spot, on the job type of learning. Yeah, I
0: mm-hmm. mean, it, it kind of brings me to, from, from my understanding of what I've I've read about and all that, there's the receptive versus active mm. parts of, uh, of yeah, exactly. the, the psychological behind. What is kind of different, because you can definitely explain it better than I could read, <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: So receptive means mostly that it's, let's say, a listening experience. So let's just say I'm working with someone who has Alzheimer's or an elderly person, typically, um, or anyone in, in a setting where their capacities are diminished. So receptive, yeah, is mainly like a listening experience or like a, a discussion versus active. You can do songwriting, you can do singing, you can do instrumental playing, you can do a whole bunch of things. It's really the it's level of engagement is the difference.
0: Okay. I said, so, no,
1: that's actually not not entirely true. A level of observable <laughs> engagement.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's it. Receptive would be trying to push signals back through the brain, right? It's already a, a connected path and you're getting it back or active to someone that has lost either those parts or Mm. that type of thing if i understand correctly
1: well again it all depends on it always it always depends on the situation like if i'm but it doesn't even have to be someone who's at a loss of anything like if i'm working with a a regular client even who's normally active and i just let's say i'm seeing that they're just they don't have the energy that day they don't have the the capacity to do something more active we'll do something a little more receptive just to kind of be chill you know like i don't know i don't know if you have experience in therapy but you know exactly i i I do
0: not and this is <laughs> why I, from my understanding of therapy you kind of have to specialize in a branch or something like that and music therapy being kind of a, an unknown thing to me it's a bunch of branches but apparently it is you can do anything from there right you have you the specialty do. in that whole field and you can pick and choose what you want to apply to different situations
1: yeah the sky is kind of your limit of That's course cool. yeah like the longer you work with one population the more specialized you are with them
2: mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I imagine a big part of it um just like any other branch of therapy is you know based on your clients establishing kind of a portfolio around them the kinds of things that they really pick up on the kinds of things that they don't Um, i imagine with something as you know wide-reaching is music uh, that can really vary not only based on population but even just people's right
1: Person to person always there's no standardization in terms of even assessment in terms of uh you know one one thing that works for one person is absolutely not a means to say it'll work for the next person Mm -hmm. and that's a really big part of what we do as clinicians too it's a really individualized program we go through really it's it's uniquely tailored to each of our clients their their music therapy process
0: right right. and yeah You mentioned you said program. I want to kind of go back to this was the third program you're getting into, right? This was your your third time through a university program.
1: It was a grad diploma, but I did so with a 12-month thing. And then the master's was another two years. But the grad diploma is something... so. That's what I was preparing for. Like I remember, my, my requirements were that I needed a bachelor's in music, and I needed a minor in psychology. So when I discovered what music therapy was a couple of years before, into my university training, I was like, okay, well now I have the music. I need the psychology. So I started kind of bringing in some psychology courses and things like that.
0: And yeah, I, this mm. is the thing: is we talked a little bit prior to this conversation of mm-hmm. there was a lot that you had to add on. I mean, a psychology minor not a small thing so <laughs> what kind of things that you picked up from your previous kind of steps through school that mm-hmm. you're able to apply now because like it's a second experience a second chance to kind of perfect that like mm. learning per- capability
1: hmm. well that's interesting because I feel like I never I never did perfect I don't know if that's even possible is that, a, is that a thing really better at <laughs> No, honestly, the imposter syndrome followed me all throughout my training. Even now, um, I'm still not done with feeling like I don't know anything. You know, I mean, there's, there's a fine line between having Sorry a little to tell bit you, of low... You
0: have, you have a master's degree? <laughs> well, <laughs> just I, I'm just going to point that out. Uh, it's a pretty good thing to have. <laughs> Thank you.
1: That program honestly taught me the most about myself. And it made me... Because when you're in a, progr- a therapy program, they you know, a really big part of that is a lot of self-reflection. And as a therapist, you have to kind of know how to leave your stuff at the door, leave your baggage at the door so that you can come in and be available for your clients. So, so a lot of that, you need to do a lot of self-reflecting and a lot of introspection, a lot of inward thinking to rec- Start, you know, start to get to know yourself on that level versus, you know, programs like I did in music or psychology. Those are very externally academic things. And your grades are based on your study skills and your study habits and your ability to learn, I suppose. And I'm not really sure I could tell you how much I remember yeah. <laughs> from my (laughs) from my uh university years and i feel like my teachers would be so heartbroken if they ever heard me say that but
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it kind of makes me think every path you had were very different right from from school which is give to others and music which is perform and then therapy or psychology which was mm. back to you and like it was very a path back to you I guess and mm. it kind of makes me think of what was the the first thing you realized when you got to like psychology that made it click that you're like okay this is this is what I've been trying to do
1: honestly i didn't start feeling that until i would experience these moments in person with real clients and real people okay. and where i actually felt like i made that person's day better no i don't think any academia or any academic training And the academic experience really had me feeling that way because I really struggled in my academics. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that was a really uh, sensitive point for me I saw it I I really you know I don't know what your education backgrounds are but if you're in university and they always say oh this is how to get good grades or go get support learning support this is these are the services right here I never really started looking into those or taking those seriously until my master's degree to be completely honest with you and
0: it makes me it makes me kind of think about the idea that you are fighting for a grade with other Mm. people around you that are also fighting for a grade and it builds this competition and we we've talked about this also before of instead of pushing people to help each other they're you're pitting it you're pitted against other people and i know from not from experience but from re- retelling but experience of the psychology major at mcgill is based on whoever like whatever the average is becomes a b mm. but you have no reason to try to help people around you you're in a class of 700 people and whatever the average becomes this is a b grade and if you want to get an a Well, you have to be better than the average and it makes you not help out people below you and unable to reach people over you and you really have to seek outside if you don't have an understanding with the teacher because it's a teacher per teacher thing right some people Mm -hmm. don't click with certain teachers some people don't have an understanding for the class without it being performed in a different manner so i kind of want to have your experience on this of going through up to a master's degree of what is things that you realized going through those programs
1: well I feel like I I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I never really had that much of a competitive environment in terms of grades I would feel like I was always in a cohort that was willing to encourage each other especially in my music training because also once a week we would have these something you call a studio on a Friday at 12 o'clock where uh, everyone in the music program would play for each other the things the pieces they were learning even if it was a rough cut if it wasn't the perfect thing it was to gain practice in playing for an audience but we was, it was a really encouraging and supportive thing. We were a pretty small program. So I'm actually, yeah, as I feel, as I said, I feel quite lucky in the sense that I never really felt pitted against anyone, if you, as you said. Um, but I definitely compared myself a lot to People, so I think that was I think that was what was hard for me, just feeling like you know everyone else is better than you, and what what that does to a person's kind of process. Yeah, because
0: your your worth becomes very close, and when you're in school, this is all you do, right? Your your job, quote unquote, is to do good in school. Mm-hmm. So your self worth becomes very attached to how well you're performing in that certain class or certain thing. And I do feel like there's a, a very major problem that needs to be fixed there. Of you're you're not being pushed forward, but you're being helped. Like it's, it's always going to be, if you do anything wrong, you're held back instead of helped.
1: Hmm. To be honest, though, I, it's funny, I tell some of my friends this sometimes, and they're like, what, you're so crazy. Sometimes I wish I was held back a little more, because I, I never, I didn't sometimes feel like I was always ready to move on to the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, again, that that really depends on what kind of learner you are. I don't, I think that's maybe a little bit where the problem lies. I don't feel that people have enough time to discover themselves as learners, and how to really be in the learner position and how to, yeah, because like, I think that's where my biggest struggle was, partly was that I didn't know how to learn. I didn't know mm. how to retain the information because the testing is also very, you know, it's a one test thing. You, you write it once, you get the grade and you, you know, it's like in it's one side. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you write the exam, it's out of your head and you really only wrote, you studied that hard just so you can write that test and do semi-okay, you know? Um,
2: right. The One of the big things I find when I am exploring like where education is at right now, because so much of it is standardized to a point where we're not really incorporating like you were saying the different kinds of learners people are and -hmm. there's no real focus right how how do you put in you know when we're talking elementary or high school a room of 20x people we're talking university we're talking you know classrooms potentially over 100 different people Mm -hmm. and there's such a struggle there I find between trying to cater to all these different kinds of students all these different kinds of learning and I I know for some material back in uh, when I was going through university it was just you know some material I think wasn't quick enough and then some of it I just wish I had so much more time on so yeah so so I, I completely relate with the fact that I think education just doesn't cater to the learner right now. I think, and obviously, I think it's there's a struggle there mm-hmm. in that you know you have to standardize at some level because we do need to get people from one end to the other. But it's it's really not created for the individuals. So I, I I think that creates a lot of hurdles that stack onto the fact that you know in itself, university is already tough enough, and learning yeah. is already a challenge in its own right. So yeah.
1: And I'm just going to add a little bit just to, you know, add a little onto that is I, in my program, I had one of my really good friends in the music therapy program, she was autistic. So even, you know, it's difficult for people who don't have other needs already, mm. you know, it's it's already not tailored for people who have different learning styles, let alone people who have different wired brains, yeah. you know, right.
0: And it, it, this, the whole idea of being held back and trying to learn more on some, on one subject would be great if it wasn't attached to so many other things. Your software is failing. Exactly, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's so much is put onto that. But even then, you're you're held back, which means you have to do the year either the the class either in a whole year because it's not offered in the other semester, or you have to wait a whole cohort worth to lose that time and there's there's a lot that it's attached to mm-hmm. that if it was being able to just all right, I'll I'll take more time on this class and then get back to where I was cuz as as George mentioned this class is easy to me like I know all the stuff right. already I've been through it so give me that f- fast word version of that
1: But and see that kind of reminds me that kind of starts a whole other circle of thought in my mind where we're we're taught that failure is a scary thing and that you should avoid it at all costs especially in your mm. early years you know we're taught at a very young age that it's something that can stifle your growth your progress when really it's quite the opposite actually you know if kids are let's say held back a year or something and you had not going to toot my own horn if you had music therapy services in schools or something (laughs) you know to to get them to process what that failure might mean and how you know like get them to process that that social isolation they might experience let's say you know Mm -hmm. if there's staff if there's people who are there who are available to sort of help those kids along maybe it wouldn't be so bad you know you can I can get over a year of feeling isolated from other people and feeling like oh this is really embarrassing and i feel dumb but maybe it'll help me in the long term i don't know but then again you know kids you wouldn't be able to really understand that until later in life no
0: mm-hmm. but it's something maybe. and I, I want to bring it back to music because mm-hmm. that's what music is there's a lot of failing there's a lot of trying new things and uh, although and uh, then again classical music is there's a right and a wrong right if you add these three notes it's this chord and if you add this one <laughs> it's an add nine or whatever right you but you can try doing that without the musical theory behind it. And it's going to be a lot yeah. of failing. It's going to be a lot of, all right, these three notes together sound okay. I don't need to put a name to it. I don't need to figure out if I add this, it doesn't sound good, right? Yeah. And it's it's a sh- it's a small failure. Everything scales, right? And so yeah. making that normality at, at a young age or whatever of failure in, s- in small bits is okay. And you grow that into, it doesn't have to, s- to be, you fail like an important thing, but the importance level needs to be distributed a little bit better on that front as well of Mm. there's a high level of experience or of uh importance put onto schooling which means the failure is even worse right Mm. it it scales equally on that front
1: Mm. i mean with classical music like as you were saying like i think the rightness and wrongness of it is more the um well that's not what's written on the page type thing you know like And if I had, let's say, a student who was playing more and more, who wasn't playing things on the page and who was using, you know, playing things, just more an improvisatory way, I think I would say, you know what? I don't know if learning music is for you. Maybe you are just naturally more an improv person and that's totally fine. You know, yes. I'm not going to try and fit this person into the mold just because, you know, let them pursue these, the strength of exploring the keyboard and, you know, let's do something different. Let's do something that's more you and less what this structure tells you to be.
0: Yeah. And even like the the two trained or school of thoughts or just schools in general, of music is the the jazz and classical, right? Those Uh are the two main ones. Uh This is the main difference is jazz is all about exploring whatever happens and there's no wrong notes zero percent wrong notes as long as you tie it back and if you can if anybody can listen to jacob collier <laughs> because his whole shtick is that is i i'll just play around this and add as many notes as possible to this chord and just if it sounds good and it sounds good there's no wrong movement as long as uh. it makes him feel that certain way that he was trying to reach Mm-hmm. And this is this is the kind of thing that happens between jazz and classical. Is classical needs to be whatever's on the page performed as was written five thousand years ago. Jazz is here's four chords. We're gonna rotate mm-hmm. through them and just mm-hmm. go nuts. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to have your perspective on that of that difference and how you're you're trying to get into a point where there's no wrong for myself as a exactly piano, yeah yeah
1: because that approach just mainly it informs my therapeutic approach too you know if I'm telling myself oh that doesn't sound because those notes are wrong how am I supposed to not be judgmental to someone I'm helping you know so it's mainly to be able to transfer that non-judgment into my practice
0: and yeah. so we'll talk about your practice what is you your, what is no <laughs> cut, cut it off all right but what is it you do right we've, we've talked about that there's so many things that you could do we've talked about the difference between receptive and active what is it mm-hmm. a, a normal kind of Practice when well, there's many We're versions normal. of that. There's many versions of it. I'm trying to.
1: I don't know if I can give you a normal, but I mean, I can give you just some options. Let's just say like in the last contract I had was at a long-term care facility. So I was working with elderly people who were suffering from mostly isolation, um, who let's say because they weren't able to move anymore or had minimal speech abilities or things like this. They just were. Yeah. Um, So I would use the music with them in a way to evoke the most that I possibly could from these individuals, whether to access memory memories to access a movement really anything it was it was a way to get get them engaged in something in a way that they could because most of these um, most of the activities in these types of places are for people who can still move around who can still speak whereas to be in um, to participate in music therapy you don't need any of those things you know Mm -hmm. if that makes sense
0: yeah no totally and (laughs) on the other side working with someone a little more active what does that Mm -hmm. look like
1: depends on the need. It depends on the goal. Um, If my goal is, so this is probably something I should have explained earlier. You can, we can address, I think there's six different um, domains of functioning. There's communication, there's cognitive, there's motor, musical, social, and emotional. So those are like the, those are the general domains that we can work uh, within music therapy. And in the assessment is where we, as music therapists, make a, a judgment call or on which of these areas we will be working on with these individuals unless they come to us already with a specific purpose or a referral or something okay so uh let's say and i've done a lot of group work as well as an individual um let's say some some of my group goals have been to get people listening to each other to get people connecting with each other to really like promote or facilitate the creation of those ties or to strengthen their bonds or to enhance like their sense of group cohesion of community music is a really great way to do that
0: and you you were saying that it's when you saw someone better out of your practice that really when it clicked of okay this is this is what i need to do this is what i want to do right and kind of talk me through what that process was at the beginning of like your, okay, your my first client whatever and after that what was the feeling yeah, explore a little bit more
1: Hmm. you mean an experience where i felt like this is where i want to be yeah, yeah. oof let me think now <laughs> we're um... digging deep we're digging deep <laughs> So let's see. Um, there was a gentleman I was working with um, in one of my latest experiences in my last contract, and he he was often he had, he had Alzheimer's, and he was often quite disoriented in space and in time, and um, that was just his uh, his baseline sort of level of functioning. And at one point we began. I just started playing some chord progressions on the guitar I gave him a drum and he was just coming up with his own rhythms he was tapping along to what I was playing he was it was the first time in one of our experiences together that he was really tuned into me because often what would happen is we would either chat or we would play some music together and within like 30 seconds you know he would start talking about something unrelated or you know it was just a way to sort of it was just his illness that he wasn't able to kind of maintain his focus and so it was really really quite amazing to me that he got really into the music I feel like i Tapped into something there with him. I had f- discovered kind of uh whether it was a rhythmic thing or a sound that he liked and wanted to stay engaged in. But I can't say that for sure. This is only, you know, an assumption mm, yeah. or uh I'm presuming. But anyways, it was just a really lovely experience for him to just he was so focused and so into playing those drums. And when I listened and I actually recorded that that one with permission um and when listening back to it it was just so amazing to hear how creative he could get and i don't know if i would have discovered that about him that 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 level of creativity or that personality in him had we not had those sessions together
0: and i kind of i kind of ask I being that I I have like a self-taught, I don't know when I hear music, I'm not looking at like, all right, these are these chords. Is that a thing you have to fight <laughs> within you when you're like, okay, well, he's tapping. This sounds like a, a three, four. And I, <laughs> is it, is it always a, a kind of toss between just let the music be and, oh, what is this theory wise?
1: Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's my job to adapt. So it's my job to always, um, Unless, unless the goal is to be grounded, and is again, it depends on the goal. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it is. You know, it's it's it is my job to kind of go with the client and meet them where they're at always. But okay. so let's, yeah, I won't go too much deeper right now.
2: But. Do you find it's just it's been a great avenue? So naturally you're helping others and you're put you know, you're adapting and all that. Do you find it's all it's been a great avenue to kind of self discover yourself through this process? You know, in helping others, do you find that you're kind of tearing down your own barriers with where you're at and you're growing alongside trying to help other people figure themselves out?
1: Absolutely. Mm. And like I think I learned the most about myself through learning about my clients and through helping them. And of course, in our training, we're, you know, we're we're taught to kind of always have what we, we call it keeping one hand on the dock, you know, your mm. body's in the water, but one hand's always out of water. So it's always like you're you're viewing things from an aerial view while also being right in it. It's kind of like training yourself to have this like third eye or something <laughs> right but um yeah and there's a lot of journaling and reflection that has to because let's say i'm I'm helping a client or i'm, I'm with a client and something comes up for me something i feel i get triggered or i feel like i'm responding to something that they're doing or they're saying that's important for me to address after so that i make sure i'm not acting on that because then that means i'm no longer being there for them
2: right
0: really really interesting oh <laughs> no your, your battery's getting low so Thank you so much We're for coming at- on and, and discuss and discussing your, your kind of path and this job that is it's sadly unknown even as a use it's not used enough and it's not practiced enough, I feel like.
1: <laughs> well, it was an opportunity for me to kind of share it also, you know, with, with the community too. So thank you for having me on here. It's really Thank you, Christina. Fun. And thank uh, you so George,
2: much. Any last word? Thanks for coming on and I mean, <laughs> if I I had no idea that this was a thing at all. So yeah. When Charles, when Charles brought it to the table, I was like, Oh, okay. Well, this seems very interesting. So, um, <laughs> thanks for opening my eyes into more ways that maybe I could start, uh, exploring, uh, myself and trying to get into it with myself. You're
1: very welcome.
0: Is there anything you want to plug? Is there any website you have for requesting your service or whatever?
1: Ooh, not yet. I'm getting on that though. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs>
0: keep, keep me posted yes. whenever it happens, I'll, I'll spread the message. <laughs> But again, thank you for coming on, and uh, goodbye. This concludes the episode. Thank you for listening. Both the intro and outro songs were songs of mine, and the link can be found in the show notes, as well as a link to everything that was mentioned during this episode. We'll be back again next week.